Hey guys, Chris Vint of Operation Retroshock, co-host here, um, just to bring you a little announcement that um, Alan and I have discussed and just going forward be something that you'll see in Operation Retroshock feed, uh, and that's mainly commentaries. Um, myself and James Bustertoon's eTalk um, did Masters Universe Chronicles commentaries uh, quite a while ago and unfortunately that feed has ceased to exist iTunes um, all the episodes unfortunately have lost that's due to something Podbean have done without notifying me I've tried to get in touch with them but to no avail sadly um, yeah so I'm going to actually upload the filmation that's the rich, very very first cartoon that came out the Masters Universe um, commentaries with uh, James Bustertoon's eTalk and myself um, the episode audio um, should be in the background. Hopefully, we have the morale, morale, morals at the end of it, morals at the end of it, and you enjoy it nonetheless. So, with that being any further ado, here is the first episode, which was the Cosmic Comet commentary, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, stay tuned for more, folks. It's time for the Masters of the Universe Chronicles commentary. Focusing on a classic episode as we join the hosts, Chris Vint and James Etock, and hear their thoughts on their chosen episode. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Masters Universe Chronicles. Now, if you're subscribed via iTunes, and if you're not, you really should be, you will see that there is a title that says The Cosmic Comet. Now... We've decided to branch out into doing DVD commentary and a guy who normally does trivia facts in 60 seconds, he has a bit longer this time but thankfully I'm not going to count the trivia facts because I would be here all day, is Mr. James Etock. Hello James. Hello Chris, pleasure to be here. Oh, pleasure to have you here. Now, if memory serves, somebody used to do this with um, the He-Man DVDs, would you care to elaborate on this for me? And yeah, back Back in uh, what 2003, I think it was. Myself and Dave Dagar Newman uh, were kindly invited by Contender, uh, who released the UK He-Man DVDs, to do two commentaries per disc. And you know, without uh, blowing my own trumpet, they seemed to be quite well received because they were, you know, a lot of fun as opposed to us wearing anoraks and demanding that these were the best pieces of animation since Walt Disney. Um, so yeah, uh, basically me and Dave did, I think it was 18 commentaries across nine discs. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? That's math- mathematics for you. <laughs> um, and when we were all said and done, we were like, oh, if only we'd done this and only if we'd done that. And when you kindly offered to, uh, let's, let's do some commentaries, I was like, hell yeah, let's do these episodes that I never had a chance to do. Mm-hmm. Like the Cosmic Comet, Shaping Staff, The Problem With Power... Origin of the Sources, all, all the you know the the greatest show on Eternia, all the brilliant oh, episodes. Why did you have to bring that up? We were starting off so well, and you had to bring <laughs> Sorry, that up and just I've, got us all. I've I've lowered I've lowered the tone already. Now we're going to um hopefully do some uh, good commentaries across all these episodes, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, we've you know it's kind of a bit weird getting back into this, and like for yourself, Chris, it's it's a bit nerve wracking, but I'm sure we'll uh we'll make something. Well, this is this is going to be a sheer thrill for me because this is where I find your name, you know, GMZ Talk. Oh, obviously, it, it, it <laughs> rarely changes, you know. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's how I find out 
how knowledgeable you were about He-Man was, you know, doing the audio commentaries whenever I bought the DVDs and uh, putting them in and listening to the audio commentaries, you know, it was an absolute joy hearing yourself and Dave talk about them. So to actually be sitting here and with my DVD remote in hand, ready to hit play and um, listen to you talk about certain stuff and me chime in, probably more the co- uh, maybe the comedy relief and saying, oh, look at that, you know, like that there, blah, 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 blah. Um, but basically, folks, what we're going to do is James and I obviously have to try and sync our uh, DVDs up as best we can. We've had a trial run, and it seems it's very work. technical. <laughs> yeah, it's very technical. All we have basically have to do is go three, two, one, hit play. Don't hit play yet, James. That is nope. not a green light. Um, <laughs> but that's basically what all we have to do. So, James, are you ready to get into the goodness that is the comic cosmic comet? If I could talk. Oh. The comic cosmic, I, yeah. I like that title yeah. actually. Um, yeah, I've got uh, me, me uh, my hand on the remote, ready to press. As soon as you do the countdown, so we're going on go, correct? Yeah, we'll three, go three, two, one, two, one go. go, and that's okay. the way we'll go. It's not a lethal weapon scenario. When do we go on three, or is it one, two, three, and then we go? Um, <laughs> right. As long as the toilet doesn't explode. Okay. <laughs> that's just charming. See if I get waterlogged in here. I'm blaming you. <laughs> I have your address, so I'll just send the bill to your address. That's oh fine. dear. So, are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. So, folks, just sit back and relax and listen to us talk about filmation and presenting He-Man, the Master Universe, the Cosmic Comet. Uh, James, what do you remember about this episode? Do you remember the first time you watched it or anything like that? Um, to be honest, for this one, no. I mean, as, as a kid growing up, I watched, uh, you know... Um, most of the series, but I think I've mentioned before because the um, the UK showed the series in such weird batches. For instance, we were the you know I've gone online many times saying we we were the first country to get He-Man. You know, wow, September the fifth, nineteen eighty-three, He-Man in Mars Universe premieres in the UK. You think, wow, that's amazing. Unfortunately, we got four episodes. Then there was nothing for many months and then the next series started in 1984 and then we got like another five episodes then there was another three month break so it was hard to know when to catch episodes especially as a kid because you're not like looking at the TV guide at least I wasn't you know you just you turn on um, for us it was children's ITV and uh, suddenly He-Man good good old days and um, yeah so I don't remember catching this the first time around I remember catching the rerun because again we, uh, we had this series shown once and then in rerun for once, and that was it. That's all. We only ever had the show, series shown twice on terrestrial television. I think cable picked it up many, many years later. But uh, yeah, so so I I, recall, I, re- I remember watching this on the um, yeah the rerun, but uh, I did tape it for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, here we are at Castle Grayskull. With, if you'll notice, please, green sky, well, actually clouds, which are so rarely ever seen in this sequence. You've always got, like, the purple sky. And, uh, yeah, here we are, Evil Linda lowering the drawbridge with her eyes, because she can do that. It's probably the easiest break-in ever. Yeah, just like, oh, there's a comet, check out my eyes, the drawbridge. Yeah. I should mention the first bit of um, infamous or famous, whatever you want to call it, Filmation stock reuse. Uh, this sequence here, He-Man grabs Beast-Man, take that, and he throws him, Wee! Now, this was this would later appear three episodes down the line in Diamond Row of Disappearance, but Diamond Row of Disappearance was actually the first episode made, so this is technically the reuse of the animation. And also, we should mention uh, Robert Lamb, who's you know he's got a great uh, 
online presence has actually stated that um, <laughs> if you look there, there's a moat, like a mud moat, and in these storyboards, that's around the castle because at that point in the series, they hadn't, they didn't know what was around the castle, so he designed this mud moat. And uh, there was a, there was a deleted scene where there was a panning shot from He-Man and Man Arms, which goes down the castle and shows this moat at the bottom. But luckily, they scrapped that just for time. Um, which later on allowed everybody to write, you know, about the abyss and stuff like that, including Robert Lamb himself, who wrote Into the Abyss. So, uh, yes, um, thank goodness the mud moat never was connected truly to the castle. True. And one thing was, why didn't the sorcerers just come out to tell him that? Yeah, that's, that's, I never, I've never thought about that. Damn it! This, this is why these commentaries are going to be great because she's <laughs> she just a pit. She opens the castle. It's like, all right, boys, what are you doing out there? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I've never really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, you see, that's one thing. You'll obviously see things that I'll nitpick and just go, you know, like, you know, um, like there's a part coming up here um, whenever you see Orko, um, just with the way they look at each other, you know, whenever Orko's saying here about, you know, you know, like I'll stay here and do my tricks and go like, you know, I should stay here and do my tricks and go like, well... On second thoughts, maybe, you know, you should go with these guys, and they're looking at each other, right. just going, oh, great, it's going to be trouble. We've got Taylor and Orko, so, uh, <laughs> secret identity again. But yeah, this, this uh, the Cosmic Comet is like an interesting first episode, because it's not like a, one of the classics, as it were, it's a, it's a good episode, but it's like, you know, because these episodes would obviously eventually be aired in production, they'd air the episodes the first time around as they made them, but then in every second syndicated run, it would be shown in a production order, so this would be the first episode, and that was, if people discovered the series for the first time, they'd be like, who are these people, there's no explanation, whereas obviously Diamond Ray of Disappearances, this is He-Man, this is Beast-Man, this is Skeletor, this is Triclops, available for $4.99, you know. <laughs> Oh, well, this this scene originally was scripted to take to take place around Skeletor's council table, uh, where he often you know sits there in his throne. But uh, I think dramatically it works better in the mouth of the snake. Yeah, plus the fact it's obviously Beastman gets a lot um, more stupid as the series goes on. So yes. the fact that you know his powers mean a great deal that they need his powers in order to do that. Oh, definitely, uh, yeah. It's, it's funny because, um, yeah, Beastman, he's like, you know, he starts, if you go, you know, his origins are in those mini comics and stuff that came with the figures, and he was just like this savage henchman. And then by the end of the series, he's the bumbling, oafish henchman who barely gets, you know, decent material. Sometimes it's downright embarrassing, you know, just to, to watch him on screen. But, uh, yes, it's, it's, uh, it's good, like you say, they, they need Beastman. You know, whereas in the latter season, they'll be like, Beastman, get out of here. And he's like, fuck your bus. But yeah, it's a good bit of, if you notice that the attack track always goes behind a giant uh, rock structure and then you see it in the distance so they don't have to show the attack track turn a corner. Get that rock structure in the way. And we just and saw Zag the, yeah, Zagras who uh, will just listen to him talk. I just picture him up near the ceiling with a table and some tea a la Mary Poppins. Oh yes. <laughs> so what can I do for you? Well, uh, we were hoping you could tell us something about the Cosmic Comet. 
<laughs> the cosmic comet. Yeah, Skeletor is planning to take control of it. It was, it was the yeah, it's a, it's a famous actor, um, Ed Wynn. And as a kid, I, I could never, I was like, I thought this voice, I've heard it before. It's obviously not the same actor. This is John Irwin doing an impression of Ed Wynn. But if you go across a lot of cartoons over the years, a lot of act voice actors do this voice. I think in a few episodes, I, I'm trying to remember which Alan Oppenheimer actually does this kind of voice. But um, John Irwin does it the best. Alan Oppenheimer obviously played Skeletor, and uh, John Irwin was He-Man. But uh, yeah, it's obviously very strange-looking comments there, clashing in this in the skies. Oh, I love filmation special effects. <laughs> yeah, here's Zagras explaining his uh, tale of woe. Zagras himself would appear. I'm trying to remember. Episode. Oh. I'm gonna guess Former episode. Oracle leaves yeah. His powers with well, no, there's 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 that one. Uh, he actually appears in Capture. The, he reappears in Capture the Comet Keeper, um, which Robert Lamb wrote after. Because Robert Lamb storyboarded this episode, and then he went on to write Capture the Comet Keeper, thinking, "Let me bring back Zagras." Um, but the funny thing is, in between that. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski wrote uh, The Magic Falls, which I think was episode 121 or 122. And in that, uh, they, there's a character called The Gatekeeper who helps Orko get his magic back. The, the unfortunate thing is, they use Zagraz pretty much as is, as The Gatekeeper. And then, what, six episodes later, Zagraz reappears in the series. <laughs> anybody watching it be like, what the hell's going on? I like the way that um, Beastman says, when are we going to do our cosmic assault on cosmic Castle assault, Sounds yeah. like something Rodney from Unifolds and Horses would say. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the, the good thing about this episode is it's so, it's so early, is that I think if you, if you read the script, you could almost like see it as like one of these early DC mini-comics kind of thing. There's a lot of, you know, aside from the Prince Adam factor, there's a lot of kind of, and Orko obviously, there's a lot of that kind of dialogue which is very... Uh, I don't know, less Saturday morning and more, you know, tied in with the myth mythos of the series. Or maybe I'm just rambling again. There's Adam falling off a rock, which uh, what, one of the later things was Philip Mechanic's son falling oh, yeah. in a pit of loomers and watch where you're running, children. And here we see <laughs> Tila with Adam. Um, you'll see this uh, used a bit later on with Tila and Zagra. So, filmation using their uh, stock animation very wisely. Oh, very much so. I mean, they were, you know, I mean, people complain about the filmation stock a lot. I, you know, a lot, a lot. But the one thing I always love about it is that you didn't get in a lot of 80s cartoons. Is, is that you pretty much knew with an episode of He-Man and She-Ra and filmation shows in general what style of visuals you were going to get. You wouldn't get much deviation. You'd get like episodes directed by Tom Tataranowitz where he'd slightly, you know, up the budget and things would look a lot better. But generally, you knew what you were going to get. Whereas, like, for instance, you know, I love Transformers. And I'd watch an episode of that, and sometimes, you know, characters would change from scene to scene. Because they'd have animation shipped from studio to studio, or from animation team to animation team. And it would be, like, quite distracting, you know, to see Optimus Prime stood there, and then he looks like, you know, very different in the following shot. You know, go from very box-looking to very human-looking in terms of uh, character dynamics. Whereas Filmation, you always knew what you were going to get. That maybe sounds bad, but uh, no, for me, it's uh, reuse of Filmation stock system, especially on this coming up sequence of uh, the transformation. Is to me, it was always a bonus, especially for this, because this is like every episode. I'm glued to the box when uh, this sequence takes place. You see Prince Adam transforming the He-Man, and gotta be one of the most complicated, 
you know animation sequences ever done in terms of you know to get all the special effects you'd have to shoot the film go back shoot it again go back shoot it again each time putting a mask on not a mask on the, the gal who's operating the camera but a mask to cover certain bits to you, you, you expose the film over and over again and therefore the white lines become lightning because that bit of film is exposed more and more it's an incredibly complicated sequence considering that you know they did it they, obviously they do it once and then it just becomes dupe, dupe neg which means they just cut it into every episode where it needs to be but it, it's an amazing sequence to watch I'd love to know how much it costs to be honest here we see there. Orko uh, does say, Agress is a silly old man, what are you doing? <laughs> and here we see, obviously, we've oh. just talked about that, and you see that in the intro sequence of He-Man punching. He-Man's um, famous punch. Yeah. Which was actually clever. I was it's cleverly done because uh, that was Filmation's way of getting away from violence. If you show He-Man punch the screen, he's not punching anybody, really. So he punches the screen, therefore he's not punching the, uh, you know, these humanoid creatures. It's all very... Yeah, I, uh, I was just about to say that, so you took the words right out of my Oh, I'm mind, sorry, so. man. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right. You're okay. Okay. You're okay. But, uh, yeah, it's always a, a joy to watch, as you said, in the transformation sequence. So now we have to see... Um, this obviously ties in nicely to the moral of the story, you know, that... Um, here we can see, as I uh, was talking about earlier, um, there you are. So, earlier on it was Adam and now it's Sagra. So, Tila likes lying down on the ground an awful lot. Uh, take it out what you will. <laughs> I think I think it's in uh, 91 episodes, 90 episodes later, I think, in The Littlest Giant. You see her doing the same pose. Instead of Prince Adam, this time it's He-Man she's holding. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's another one somewhere. Oh, I can't rack my brain for that. Orko becomes a vacuum cleaner here. He's very weak, but I think I can help him. There we go. This is this is like a let's go get Skeletor, and Skeletor gets to one of his most I'd say famous catchphrases. You know what I'm going to say. Here we go. Oh yeah, the the the. Fa the, the probably the most often used villainous vehicle, the Basher, which is, um, I always thought it was a really cool looking vehicle, you know, ship, and you, know, you wonder for a majority of it, why is it called the Basher, and then eventually out comes the Ram in like, I think it's Song of Solis, and you're like, oh, that's why it's called the Basher, you know, it takes that long to find out, but it was never obviously made into a toy, so there's this whole confusing thing of... You know, Mattel advertise our toys formation. Formation like, yeah, sure, we'll just use these vehicles that we've invented ourselves, like the attack track, which looks nothing like the toy, and the basher, which looks like, like nothing anything, because they didn't make a toy of it. Obviously, the dragon walker looks very similar in the cartoon and in the, um, the toy. Um, oh, yeah. One of the most pointless vehicles oh. ever designed. Dragon walker, just <laughs> rubbish. That's my, that's my summary of the dragon walker. Rubbish. Problem. I'll stop you this time. There's some good, uh, you know, amazing computer graphics here. You see the, uh, you know, attack track, target locked and firing. I'd like to think this was a complicated animation sequence, but really it's not. <laughs> I always forget about the fact that he just blows off both wings at the same time. That's precision for you. Precision. And where does Beastman end up? You can't have him crash at the ground. That'd be too in the mud. And he can't get that dry cleaned. Oh, and actually, here's Skeletor and Evil Lens uh, holding hands. And oh, 
professing their love to the whole of Eternia. <laughs> Check us out, yeah. <laughs> Look at this, super powered, lots of exposure there. Are you talking about Evil Lynn or...? No, no, no. <laughs> I did think about that after I said it. Now this is, um, we get to see, uh, watch this, Skeletal Leech from the mouth of the stake. Whee! All the way, you see a little bit of rotoscope in there when he lands. In one of the episodes, like he falls like about two feet and makes this almighty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here we hear the immortal line that James is talking about. Do it, do it, sir. So evil is laughing. <laughs> you did it, Skeletor. For Skeletor taking all the credit. But what happens to the heroes? What's what's, what's that all about? It's a sorceress, you boob. <laughs> And of course, he calls King Randor a boob in a yeah. later episode. Of course, I remember all these boob references. That doesn't bode well for me, really, on this podcast. And obviously, we've seen that used earlier on as well. Well, there's, there's, a, there's one particular word that Skeletor has in one of the uh, season two episodes that I'll actually mention if we should ever get there. And it's actually in another uh, language, in a foreign tongue, it's actually an offensive word. So I'm not sure how they got away with that in, a car, in of an episode of He-Man, but uh, we'll get to that when we come to it. There's something to look forward to. Skeletor swears. <laughs> so yeah, this is the whole, like, like uh, Chris Pinas is uh, Zagraz, you know, overcoming his struggle with his uh, doubts. And they're like, oh, come on, Zagraz, you can do it. And he's like, oh, I can't. They're like, yeah, you can. If you one, put your thing, one thing that's always been lovely about watching He-Man is the music. You know, unfortunately, oh. they've never released, uh, you know, like a legitimate filmation CD with the music. But uh, one of the episodes we'll probably talk on was the one you were talking about, James. The first one to air was the Diamond Ray of Disappearance. The music in that is very different to yes. the music that they've used in a lot of the other episodes, I noticed. Well, the funny thing about I know it's, there's this particular bit of music, and I know the one you're talking about, like... Um, for people listening like uh, when Skeletor and his evil warriors are marching towards Castle Greyskull and you get that kind of droning music that's kind of like uh, almost like deep and repetitive that actual music was used in previously used in Mysterious Cities of Gold which was that it was another series com where the music was composed by um, Shooky Levy or Haim Saban and Shooky Levy but Shooky Levy was the composer um, and they I, I think when it came to He-Man you know especially with Diamond Road Disappearance the reason that the He-Man theme song is used so many times in that episode is that they're they're constantly going, we need some more music. Let's get some from Mysterious Cities of Gold, and we've got the He-Man theme. There's really not that much different. You know, you don't get the famous Snake Mountain theme song. Um, you know, the, that you know, the, the the heavy piano, deep piano set on, on that. You don't get that in that episode at all. So Diamond Ray is clearly the first episode in so many ways. Here we see the comet talking. You know. Orko saying, there it is up there, pointing to the sky, where normally you find comets. Yeah, oh, uh, Lou Scheimer voice in the comet, and Orko, and anyone else who can get his hands on that. <laughs> oh, I, I love Lou Scheimer's voice act. I mean, I still, yeah, you you know, maybe in another commentary I'll be ranting about how much I love Trapjaw's voice. Uh, just Lou Scheimer as a, a voice actor. It's amazing, you know, he, he did it to cut costs, as, as you going by the pseudonym Eric Gundon. But uh, I just thought as a voice actor, he was great. You know, he did Orko, he did Trapjaw, Stratos, King Randor. Lose count. 
You tell me a lot of the voices that I particularly like. You know, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Stratos and King Randall's voices are awesome. Trapjaw, I didn't know that until you pointed that out to me uh, quite a while back. Is it like, you know, Trapjaw was voiced by Lee Shammer. I was sitting there going, really? I did not know that. So Yeah, uh, it's, um, it's, it's a voice he used in, um, oh my goodness, what's the show? Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. It was like this character had exactly the same voice. I remember watching that thinking, hang on a second, that's, uh, that's the same voice. So this is this is anything I don't like about this action sequence. Oh, we get a good bit of animation of the sorceress here, where she conjures diddling with her little fingers. That 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 animation appears later in um to save Skeletor. But yeah, He-Man flying through the sky. I've I've really got issues with. I just think it's sit. You know, I know, I know he's supposed to you know be able to do certain things like do you know push this or throw that, but to stop a comet in midair when there's nothing supporting him. And the interesting thing is in the original script. It's actually stated that the sorcerer creates like a magical glowing disc that he travels upwards on, and therefore he's got something to, you know, uh, push against so he can push against the comet. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, the, I don't know, it's, it's uh, not a great action sequence for me. Very much like the thing in, uh, I think it's Trouble and Troller, whenever um, they're actually going to find his power, you know, he's on like a, almost looks like a, like a, a coin that him and Battlecat Norco are actually on, and then it actually just takes off from the ground. Oh, well, Orko's missing magic, yeah. Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, that's, 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 yeah, that's a weird one, that, yeah. Oh, this this shot of Castle Greyskull from a distance, I think he's only ever used in this one episode, maybe in Song of Solis as well, but it's a, a weird shot. The castle doesn't look quite right. And oh, we get some really uh, fluid animation on um, Zagros here. Not filmation stock, he's moving about quite a bit, tapping his little fingers, you know, it's... Uh, it's very hardly moved an inch there. Oh, he moved his arm. He may go. You never thought you were. Oh, uh, this this actually I like this little thing. Um, in the UK, when they showed episodes, they often cut them for time because we didn't have uh, adverts. So the episode actually ended here with Skeletor flying off in the distance, going "He man," <laughs> and it actually works better if you watch it. I think it's much. It's such a great way to end the episode. Here we go. <laughs> and that's where the episode ends in the UK. And I just think it's such a, it's a great ending. But, um, but no, the, re the real ending is this weird tagged on thing where Prince Adam's uh, mastering the power of uh, your you force. Yeah, the force. <laughs> and uh, Zagras says, once you've done this, you can pretty much control comets. Which kind of puts Zagras's uh, powers, like, doesn't make the most of them. It's, oh, is, is that what you do? So yeah, end joke with Orko and. Uh, that's the cosmic comet. We get a moral from uh, Man at Arms talking about trying and trying again. You know the Zagras thing. Thankfully, it's not the Homer Simpson one of the try, try again, and you know once you fail, the lesson is never try. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not. Mentioned that segment. Yeah. So, uh, what are your overall thoughts on this, James? You know, like if you had to give it a, like an overall mark, or you know, like where does it rank in your? Your love of um, Filmation Masters of the Universe? Um, it's, I think it's an enjoyable episode. I think it could have been a, a lot better. But uh, as, as scripts go and as stories go, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's never going to be a classic, but it's, uh, it's one that you can watch and not get bored with. Yeah, that's very true. So that uh, basically sums up our little, little commentary to do with Cosmic Comic. James, did you enjoy yourself there? Yes, very the... much so. Very much so. It's an yes. honour to sit with you, sir. Yes, well, I look forward to doing plenty more, I hope, and some of the ones that you've been busting to do. Is there, oh. is there some particular that you've got marked, or do you not want to uh, to shell out that information as yet? Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's keep it as a surprise as to what appears next. 
But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot I still want to still want to talk about. Okay, well, thank you very much, James, for partaking in this. It's been a joy, and as I say, here's to here's to many more, as the the toast normally goes. It's uh, it's, it's been a beautiful experience. I'm actually welling up. <laughs> uh, sarcasm <laughs> is not your forte, uh, but thank you very much, James. Until next time. In today's story, Zagraz had a problem. He lost his confidence in himself because he had once failed. Well, now, we all fail sometimes, but we should never be afraid to try again. And we should always keep believing in ourselves. As the old saying goes, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Until later, bye.